Hey, good people. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Kate Deering. Uh, Kate has been involved in the fitness and wellness world for over 25 years. She has a great book you can easily find on Amazon called How to Heal Your Metabolism. It's a fantastic, fantastic book, and I highly recommend it for everyone. Um, Kate and I have a great chat about diet and lifestyle and her journey through it, and uh, I really hope you enjoyed this one. So, you know, when like in the, in the Ray Pete world, when people look, because um, everybody who gets into the Ray Pete world sort of wants like, hey, give me a book or give me something that I can do. And there's really no Ray Pete book, you know, besides his articles and all that stuff. Um, so your book seems to be like the, you know, Ray Pete Bible, I think of it as um, I think a lot of people yeah. go to it. It's definitely the entry book for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love that. And I, you know, I, tell, I reference it to a lot of people. Um, but like, you know, going way back, what kind of led you to writing that book? How did you get to that part? Um, well, the, probably the same experience, mm-hmm. right? So I got into his work and I got obsessed like very quickly. Mm-hmm. And when I start getting obsessed, it's literally like I would spend every waking hour watching a video, reading an article, you know, cause I, it was just like, like mind blowing to me. And then when I kind of start applying it to my clients, it was so hard for me to try to wrap it all together and help them understand it. You know, mm-hmm. there was so, and it was just so much And the, you know, most people just don't want to. So that's when I decided I'm like, there needs to be a better way to understand this. Yeah. And yeah. so I, took everything with that I did and I just broke it down and I just started writing articles and everything in the book is like, I probably wrote it and just reformulate it. Cause I wrote it in different times, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and I just said, and that's what I did. I just, it became an obsession for me. And yeah. then it became bigger than I ever thought. I was supposed to be like a hundred pages and <laughs> 300 and then, you know, plus. And so, and that's where I just, just, that's how it happened. Yeah. And so you're saying you were already in the fitness industry when you, when you went through that kind of wake up call experience. Oh yeah. I've been in the fitness how, how did you get in the fitness 25 industry? years, 25 <clears> years. So what was your first, how did you get into it at the first? In Atlanta, I, well, I got into it working at health clubs. Okay. So I started, I started running health clubs in Atlanta. I ran health clubs for 10 years Okay. kind of, and trained people on the side. And so I basically did the management part of it all. And then I literally hated it at the end. Cause I mean, it was just, <laughs> I was, you were, cause you're dealing with all the fires, right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was like, I wasn't fitness anymore. It was just dealing with everyone's head. Headaches or whatever that I, you know, and so then yeah. I moved to California. Was it like a twenty-four hour fitness, LA fitness kind of thing? No, no, it was a private gym. We had three oh, facilities. Wow. Yeah, okay. so I actually knew the guy from the first health club I worked at. He left and opened up his own facility, and I went with him. So mm-hmm. we opened up a gym, and then we had two more, so we had three. Yeah, and and I just ran that, and then you know I did other basically things in there and did some training and so forth. But I just. You know, I'm, I'm, I was doing a lot of bad things in my life at that point, too. I mean, I was super partier girl. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta type. And, Atlanta type. Atlanta was a party, big party town. Atlanta, yeah, yeah, yeah. A-town, yeah. A-town. And, that's and the, what I was. the health club people were like the party people, and that's what we did. did you, were, just, you, were you like a marathon runner or a triathlete kind of person? Not yet. I didn't do oh, that. Oh, so you got into it before. later, though. You see, there's always I, – oh, yeah, I know so many people that are like triathletes or, you know, love their Ironmans and – all of them fucking love getting wasted, love partying. They love going hard after they. Well, I did run. that. Yeah, so I did all the partying. I was I was a big tennis player in Atlanta, so I was okay. a massive tennis player. And then when I came here, I decided to get healthier, so I got <laughs> out of the partying. Still drank a considerable amount, but uh-huh. 
started getting my obsessions everywhere. And then I got in some long distance marathons, long distance cycling, you know, got into that kind of world. I never did a triathlon, interesting enough, because um, mm-hmm. I'm not a big swimmer. That's too much. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I got, and I started to, you know, realize how unhealthy a lot of these habits was. And so I got, but then, you know, that's when I got to the Czech Institute. I did a natural health, uh, Institute nutrition program. So so your first, like, so your first big, uh, like, you know, fitness, whatever certification or, you know, thing that you followed was Paul checks kind of system. Uh, no, it was ACE. Um, Oh yeah. Okay. I have that too. Other programs. (laughs) Then I did NHI national holistic Institute or health Institute. It's up in Encinitas. Yeah. I did a two year nutrition program with them. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I found check mm-hmm. and did a lot of the exercise corrective classes. I did the, the nutrition class, I think two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, check has some good stuff and that was a good kind of way to go. You know, it went yeah. from, I mean, cause I, when I was younger, we grew up in a world of processed food, you know, it was all about calories and then it was all about no food fat or then it was all about no sugar you know so, so, it, was, so it was about a thing yeah 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 so it was about removing and everything was correlated to weight loss right right that's yeah you know it's because i sort of grew up differently i grew up in russia and in russia was kind of different it was just more about eating real food you know and and you know not to like you know show off or whatever but just that's just i think it's just because you don't have the availability of stuff that you have here in america so it's like mm. It's just eating real food, normal food. So when I first found out Paul Check when I was young here in you know Los Angeles, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> it was for, for a lot of people though, and of course it doesn't, right? Because they're eating Fritos or whatever, just random stuff. So yeah, and so how was your yeah. experience? How how, how uh, far up the chain did you work up with the Paul Check? I only did the exercise coach one, mm-hmm. and then I did the nutrition uh, coaching two. Oh okay. Um, and it was in the nutrition coaching too that Josh Rubin was teaching that I met him. And he, I think, must have been getting into it because he was starting to waver, like some things he was trying to teach us, but they're so against the Czechs philosophy. Oh, yeah. Well, so, you, must, you with, must have had a fungal infection. <laughs> That's my full Paul Czech impression there. <laughs> you know, I like, yeah, Czech's an interesting guy. Of course. I mean, and hey, if I'm you've with you. Met I, him, he's I, very bright, but yeah, he yeah, has yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. some interesting philosophies. Um, you I know, have. and I don't know if he still utilizes his same nutrition protocol. You know, I don't know. I mean, he was very much about metabolic typing diet. Yeah. I and mean, that was the basic book. And then even his own approach certainly kind of went into that and utilized that to figure out, you know, what foods were best for you, whether carbs, protein, or fat type. Right. right. Um, and that's pretty generalized. And yeah. so. And I agree uh, with you. I don't think he's, you know, like you said, he's out there. But what I, the big takeaway I think that people should get from Paul Check is just, yeah, just eating normal, real foods, right? It's like, hey, I mean, he, he's yeah. at least he doesn't say, you know, don't eat fruit. You know, he, he, I think he's definitely all for fresh fruits and vegetables and just normal grown stuff and, you know, stuff that's not yep. filled with garbage and pesticides and all kinds of things. So I think that's great, but definitely exactly. against kind of some of the sugar stuff, sugars, you know, the four white devils, which are right. kind of things that sugar, white flour, sugar, dairy, flour, white salt, salt. Yeah. Sugar. So at that sugar time, soup. how was your, what was your training and what was your diet like when you were going through these courses? With Czech? Yeah. Yeah. Just at that time period, you know? Czech, it became all organic, but it, I mean, after I did my metabolic typing diet, I was a protein type. So mm-hmm. 
that meant a lot of meat. Yeah. I mean, I had like eggs, egg whites, probably meat. I mean, it was very low carb, even though it was, bef- it was low carb before it was low carb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but it was quality. Like it wasn't some of the packaged garbage, you know, all the Yeah, process. you weren't eating like keto bars. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So I think that's the great thing about that, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it was better, right? It was better than I would. And I was, you know, because as you go through your, I guess, health history and your health journey, Mm-hmm. You might pick a diet that makes you better. It might not be the best diet yet, right? Because every kind of shift I made, I think, was better than what I was doing. And it, I think it produced some results until it didn't. Yeah. Right? So that actually, I mean, I got lean on that approach. And I, I you know, I almost felt better because I was probably wasn't eating some of the other low-calorie things that I thought were healthier. Right, right. Yet, in time, because it was so carb-sugar deficient, and it was very low-fruit. Um, I think it started to play, you know, my, my, and and I was in massive endurance activity at that point too. So Mm -hmm. my metabolism unknowingly was coming to a a grinding halt. So when you were training there, so you were, I mean, that's another great thing about Paul is that he does actually talk about how, uh, people overdo on the cardio. So I don't know, but you were definitely a cardio fiend in that time, huh? Yeah. I just liked events. Oh. I was very competitive, so like I, I was in a rush. lot of running events. Yeah, I was like, I just liked events. I like, I was in, a, I always did a lot of running events at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I taught a lot of boot camps, so I myself were teaching like four boot camps, and then I would take another two boot camps. Wow. It was all just intensity and a lot, and then I would still run on some of these days. I mean, it was lots of activity, two mm-hmm. three hours plus. I would be training six or seven hours a day, mm-hmm. and then That's a lot you of know, time. You know, like that, yeah. You know, and you think you're do everything you're doing is so healthy, right? Right. That yeah. how could you possibly not be feeling well? It's a strange thing, right? Yeah, it's a strange thing that it's like I'm training every day, I'm working out, and and, and also when you start feeling like crap, I think what a lot of people do is they double down, <laughs> right? It's like, well, fuck, I don't feel that great. You know what? I think I'm gonna make my run a little bit longer today, and I'm gonna cut out more of the fruits and more of the sugar, and just go, uh, you know, full keto or whatever. Yep. Well, and if you, you know, anytime I work with people, that's what happens to them, right? It's almost like some go vegan and then they realize, okay, maybe I need, so they might go paleo and then from paleo they get better, but then it's some other stuff's hard and they start having some gut issues. So then, yeah, they go keto or carnivore and it kind of clears up and they think they've found the Holy Grail and then all of a sudden they fall off a cliff. Yeah. And so you see that a lot. Yeah. And it's tough because there's so many voices out there and so much stuff to learn. And, you know, I've been there too, where I felt like crap and I thought, well, maybe it is a fungal infection. So maybe I got to go on the antifungal diet where I was just eating, you know, greens and, and, uh, meats pretty much. And, um, yeah, you've, but the strange thing is that your body is so adaptable that you do feel good, I think for a while. Right. I guess, I guess just everybody crashes different, um, at different times. Well, and I think it, you know, again, I mean, depending on what the diet does, uh, you know, if it's producing a, a, a low level of adrenaline and cortisol while you're doing things, that does feel good. And if, yeah, if you were having a lot of bacterial overgrowth, probably because bowel was slow and the fibers weren't being digested, mm-hmm. then get rid of all those. Yeah, it feels better, you know. So there are some things that initially do feel better, but then all of a sudden your hormonal system's going to shut down. Yeah. You know, you're going to be depleted of minerals. I mean, all these things start happening. They just don't happen immediately. Yeah, and on top of that, you're probably drinking a lot of water too, which is also in that system, right? Of, uh, I think it's like double half your body weight in ounces, which is quite a bit of water. I, yeah. 
I don't even know how. Half, I remember looking all that up, like, how do we get to these Numbers. recommendations? You know, <laughs> like 64 ounces, half your body weight, a gallon, and there's really no scientific backing on no, any of it. No. Well, and like you said, and not to talk down on Paul Chuck, because I do think a lot of his stuff is great, but, you know, the way that he kind of go, or people in that, um, circle go about it is that they kind of get it to the spiritual side of things and i don't know sometimes i and that's great and i love you know i'm a big fan of osho i mean i do i i've done a lot of you know meditation stuff and i think it's great but i think people kind of just have that as their backup like well you don't know what i'm talking what you're talking about so it's just you gotta you're not you gotta listen to your spirit more and you gotta do this and i think people get even more confused because it's like hey if i'm listening to my spirit honestly this ice cream it's telling it it sounds good to me i really want to eat ice cream you know because their idea is like well you know just listen to your spirit your spirit's not going to tell you to want to eat ice cream it's like it kind of is i kind of want to eat the ice cream do you know what i'm saying (laughs) i and i think like you know and again i mean whatever (laughs) when people i mean i have a very spiritual side as well and you know i don't know i have it's really interrelated to the food choices I have, but maybe on other levels, you know, it, it helps my health. Cause I think there are certainly more levels than just diet. Yeah. And, um, but you know, it, to me it, at the end of the day, it's like whatever works for you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. maybe what I'm doing now in five years won't work and I'll have to have a different sense of what to do to fix it. Right. So I don't know, right. Right now it works. Um, could that change? Possibly, you yeah. know, I, I'm not kind of, totally married to any idea at this point because I, it seems to be always evolving and we're always changing and there seems to be, and I think you, when your body shifts and there's new stressors, then you have to take, you have to look at things a little bit differently. Right. Right. And in my low carb days, I mean, I remember when I would feel stressed or just tired from, you know, doing an all day work and then doing a workout in the gym, I, I really wanted to eat some ice cream at night and I would eat and I would sleep great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, you know, I figured that out intuitively, but you know, if you read anywhere online, even the current science, you know, quote unquote or whatever, all it's all, you know, it's all bad. It's so it's, I think it's so tough for people right, right now, nowadays to kind of figure out what to do with their bodies, you know? Well, my thought is that literally nothing in today's world, no matter what you're talking about, politics, nutrition, mm-hmm. economy, not a lot of context is ever given to help explain something. There's just like little blibbits of things that are thrown out there and then people interpret them without the, a, a bigger understanding of why they're coming to that conclusion. Right. And right. so I think nutrition is, you know, there's all these perceptions and ideas about good and bad and whatever. And then when you kind of look at where they're getting that idea from and how they've uh, decided that that is good or bad, it, it contextually doesn't make any sense. So yeah. You know, at least when you when you utilize human physiology, you know, you're like, but but right. I mean, yeah, if you give a really sick person a bunch of sugar and mm-hmm. metabolically their their cellular deficiencies and they don't really metabolize it well, yeah, you're gonna create a really sick person and yes, you could get diabetes. So but context has to be given there and versus a healthy person and the type of sugars and how they're being delivered and what else are they eating, you know, yeah. all of that all of that makes a difference. It requires a little bit of work and um, people just kind of want that 60 second Instagram post, right? They or do. that little thing yeah. blip, you know, and then, and like I said, and even Ray's stuff gets, I think, misinterpreted because sometimes you'll hear a clip and you're like, well, why the hell is he recommending that? And, you know, and you got to understand that he's looking at this huge picture of a person and he's talking about all kinds of things that are happening. And I think that's where people get confused. Yeah. And he's, like I said, I mean, it, it, he his answers change depending on the context and, and on the person. Yeah. And 
whatever is happening to them. So, you know, that's why even when he says things and people kind of interpret like eat this diet, I'm like, well, just because he can do that doesn't mean you can do that. And it's, it's like, that's what he's shifted in, in his, but is that maybe the most ideal thing to do possibly, but you can't get there from A to Z overnight. And if you tried to, it's probably going to make you sick. So it's a process. You know, yeah. There's a little of a transition that has to happen. Yeah. And so you were taking these classes and you met Josh Rubin and Josh Rubin start, sort of started, uh, uh, <laughs> how do you say, you know, going against the, uh, the grain there. And um, when did that, did you have a, did you have a sort of a boom wake up moment or did you, was it a slow transition? How did you start going uh, away? No, I think he just made some suggestions and made me question things. And I literally would go home and I, who is he talking about? This Ray Pete. And I would start reading these things it, within the class. You know, it was mm. almost like he, was, he wasn't allowed to talk about it, but he did talk about it and I knew him. So I was like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Started talking about temperature and pulse and things like that. And I would go and measure myself. And I'm like, I am like 96 degrees. That doesn't seem to make sense. You know, when mm-hmm. I had never taken my temperature other than when I was sick. So I had no clue. Right. And intuitively, right? You, would, you would think that you want your temperature to be low. You want your pulse rate to be low because that's a sign of a, a healthy heart, right? Because you're running a lot. So your, you know, your pulse slows down. Yeah. I don't even know intuitively. I mean, definitely low pulse. I don't know if I've had an intuitive thought about body temperature. It wasn't even something I considered. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a consider. I knew I was cold a lot, especially when I dieted. I mean, looking back at my life and going, oh my God, I was like in college, I was just freezing all the time. Mm. You know, I was pretty petite and I did tons of cardio and ate very little, you know, I was very restrictive on my calories and freezing, freezing all the time, you know, and I would binge and I would definitely have these fluctuations in weight, you know, and I was, but, and then I'd have to go back to be really restrictive, you know, and I was always angry that I had friends that didn't have to do any of that and could stay the same weight, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had to control it with calories and exercise. And I just didn't have to have a concept of really what I was doing to myself. Right. You know, I thought all the name of health and I really was like counterproductive essentially. So temperature was kind of the first thing that you started measuring and keeping track of and, and your pulse, huh? Temp, pulse, and then I dove deep in, right? So it was just, that's when my obsession, because it, it totally shook every belief system I had about fitness and exercise, and mm-hmm. how we're supposed to do it, and, you know, it was more, more exercise, eat less, more restrictive, you know? Right. It was, everything was being challenged. Were you experiencing any other symptoms that, you know, like you said, you also looking back, you're like, oh, I always had this problem. Like I know with a lot of women that I work, it's like a very common one is two common ones for me. It's like constipation and menstrual cycle problems. Super common these days, I feel like with women. Yep. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, looking back, I used to take tons of supplements to have a regular bowel movement. It was mm-hmm. just a normal thing. I just thought that was normal. And, and a lot of them had ephedra in them. Or tons of, or tons <laughs> well, that'll of clean you out. Yeah, I've done oh, that. Yeah, right? So the, those like started tapering off. Or there was just tons of caffeine I would take in the morning. Yeah. Right. To trigger, trigger bowel movement. Yeah. Um, so I always had supplements. There, I mean, and I, had, I went through times it was different ones, but there was always something I usually took, you know, like I said, looking back, I mean, the bat with the bowels pretty, no, you mm. know, was sleep starting to be disruptive. And I started having some skin issues, dry skin. I mean, a lot of things, it was like premature aging essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, in your brain, you just think, Oh, this must be what 40 is going to be like. You know, I <laughs> so know. that was that was around the time when you were about forty. You're saying that this kind of switch started happening to you, yeah. 
About 38, 39. 38, Mm -hmm. 39. Okay. And so you started reading, going really deep. And what was some of the, you said it shook up a lot of your beliefs. I mean, what was the, was was the big one sugar or what was the big things Uh, that changed for you? I think it was definitely sugar. Like I, it took me a while (laughs) to get my head wrapped around that, you know? I mean, it took me probably two years to even put sugar in my coffee. Right. Uh, right. I still use stevia because I was like, why would I possibly want to add sugar? And I would hear Ray talk. Oh, because be stevia like, tastes like not. shit. Sorry. <laughs> I think it tastes like shit. I was convinced shit. it was fine. <laughs> but I just didn't understand why putting more calories in something like sugar, like why am I going to put these unneeded calories? Like that never made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Why would I add more calories? Why would I add this? There's no nutrition in this. Why would I do these things? So I didn't. You know, I, w- I added definitely more fruits. I mean, when I did change, I did a lot of shifts, like all of a sudden added, drank a bunch of dairy, all mm-hmm. of a sudden started having a ton more fruit, mm-hmm. you know, reduced muscle meats a, a ton. Like I went from like chicken two, t- two three times a day to none, Yeah, um, had more fish and, you know, and I got rid of like all the oatmeal or, and all the oat milks, and, you know, almond milks, all of that. And just some of the, I mean, I just removed all the bars. I was eating some bars at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a big, big shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, I consumed an enormous amount of saturated fat from like nothing to a ton. Yeah. My cholesterol <laughs> did. It went from 170, I think, to like 330. Oh, so when you were low carb, you weren't even consuming a lot of like uh, saturated. You were just sticking to lean meats pretty much, huh? It was, yeah. It was because, again, my low carb was protein type. Oh, boy. You went so really deep. I, I got mixed type because, you know, because, again, I, and looking back to I remember like answering those questions and I was thinking like, I, I, I like meat. But I also love ice cream. <laughs> like that was always my thing, you know. And so I ended sure. up being a mixed type. So for me, I was eating like you know, just ground beef, you know, whatever, twenty percent fat. And I never really kind of watched out for the beef too much. Ate a lot of avocados. But you were you were really going lean, huh? So you were just eating protein. Oh yeah, mostly. it was. What was what was it? What was like a typical daily kind of diet for you back then? I'd say a lot of egg whites. <laughs> um, I would make, I would put some oatmeal in some, I'd put a scoop of protein powder. So I was, I was adding a lot of either whey protein or making, you know, protein shakes. Okay. Um, you know, I would make a shake and I remember it was like, I'd put a bunch of greens in the shake <laughs> You've been there, done and that. probably some berries, <laughs> some protein powder, and then like some sugar-free almond milk. Oh, wow. With stevia. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the and tri- then maybe a chicken salad, you know, there was lots of greens. I mean, huge salad, you yeah. know, I make huge, huge, huge salad with chicken or, or tuna. Tuna. Yeah. yeah I, I had gotten ah, you never I went to the tuna I, route. <laughs> when I worked in the gyms, I ate so much tuna that it was like, I couldn't, it was just <laughs> a funny. lot of chicken. <laughs> occasionally beef here and there, maybe occasionally salmon or some seafood, but it was a lot of chicken. Oh and then God. maybe that night I would like saute up a bunch of like broccoli, cabbage, mm. like a lot of cruciferous vegetables. <laughs> I rarely, rarely ate a potato ever. Wow. And more chicken, right? So b- huge pile. Hardcore of, Kate. Hardcore Kate. Wow. <laughs> and then if, you, if I had like a snack, something sweet, you know, it would be some nuts, right, okay. with some berries things in there or something or some you know maybe some berries or i'd probably get some sugar-free it would be like maybe you know these sugar-free pops or something i don't know icicles it was nothing yeah. exciting if anything ever exciting came into my house i would eat a ton of it <laughs> ice cream could not be in my house anything good <laughs> i would so eat it 
So very high carb, lots of greens too. You said for so the big thing. Very low carb. Low carb. Sorry, high sorry. I'm I'm in protein. High carb. Yeah. Low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. High protein. Low carb. A lot of greens. Um, and then you said you started eating. So the big first big change was like eating a lot of meat or or higher fat. Well, meat. I re I reduced the meat when I shifted. All of a sudden, I started consuming a lot of dairy. So then I oh, started dairy. eating the whole egg. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been eating egg yolks. I mean, it was, you know, it's fairly low fat too. It was just yeah. high protein, um, low glycemic carbohydrates mm -hmm. and some probably complex, you know, mm -hmm. in form of like, uh, oatmeal. Um, I, you know, I might do, might, might've done some brown rice here and there, some quinoa or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you said your cholesterol shot up really high and you think that's when I, yeah, mm -hmm. when I went from that approach and I added saturated fat and a ton more sugar in, mm -hmm. I think my body was like, like, I remember my doctor calling me. She's like, have you done something different? She's like, your cholesterol almost doubled. <laughs> right. And I didn't like freak out cause I kind of realized what was happening, you know, and it was, mm -hmm. you know, it's my, a system. I mean, again, I had been like a high, well, what I had, if I had, if I had fats, they were primarily polyunsaturated. So there were a lot of nuts, seeds, you know, and so no saturated fat, very low sugar. And so I think my, my system was just kind of trying to regulate. Mm -hmm. I was producing a ton more cholesterol and I was probably in a pretty inflamed state. So it was probably a normal state for my body to do. Mm -hmm. I think my true state of hypothyroidism was showing up, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of in that suppressed state. It, it all looks good, you yeah. know, but I mean, if you kind of remove all the things that might make cholesterol essentially low sugar low saturated fat mm -hmm. you know it kind of looks good but essentially it it was i was very hypothyroid yeah and so adding all those things kind of made my body start creating a lot of cholesterol you know i did have some just adverse hormonal things because i just went all in which i never advise anyone to do anymore mm -hmm. um and it and it settled in about six months it settled for me okay. um and then and then I, cause I gained a little bit of weight too, and that kind of settled. And then I kind of reined it in a little bit better. You know, I wasn't all crazy like I was in the beginning mm -hmm. and then I, it, everything kind of settled down for me. And so you dropped the greens too. Was that like a also overnight kind of thing? You just dropped them, stopped eating a lot of all the broccoli no, and all the chard? I, I think I had, it was, I had a little separation anxiety with the greens, <laughs> uh, like anything. Like a lot I of people do. I yeah. reduced them significantly, you know, yeah. I maybe had a couple of salads um, and I went, you know, mostly I was doing like squashes and peppers and onions. I did all that. Yeah. Those were kind of my options. Yeah. Which but, are more, uh, more technically fruit, right? Peppers and tomatoes and all those yes, kind of Yes. They're more kind of vegetable fruits. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Because it's, it's tough, you know, I, and I don't know how much time you spend convincing people these days, but it's so hard to get people to think that maybe these greens are not really a optimal food for like a human body. And I don't know. How do you get people to start thinking about that? I mean, I, I think anyone I, you know, it's at some level I always ask, usually if someone's doing a lot of groups, I always ask how digestion's doing, mm -hmm. you know, because you see a lot of it in the stool. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, you know, I just have them think, I'm like, look, you're eating a leaf essentially, mm -hmm. and it's bound in tons of fiber and you are not a cow. You do not have a room. It's really hard for your body to break that food down. Now, if you're in a state where you're having a hard time utilizing or getting enough energy, mm -hmm. well, just think about how much energy it's going to take for your body to try to pull some nutritional value out of that leaf that's yeah. basically providing it with zero energy, right. right? So you're basically taking from your system. 
And yeah. when you're trying to heal, we need to, we need to de- give you some de- deposits, right? We can't keep taking and taking withdrawals. And that's what, to me, like eating a ton of leafy greens with nothing else is it's a withdrawal because it takes more energy to get stuff out of that. than it's giving you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't tell some people, I'm like, if you're going to do them, obviously cook them mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes I have people throw them in a smoothie just a little bit. If yeah. that's makes them psychologically. <laughs> yeah. Which better. is, which is big. People, need, people are like, I, I need to have, you know, they feel like they need to have, right. have them. And it's funny and that like, you said, yeah, the, the ones that eat the most greens, usually they're like, well, I have to eat them because I have digestive problems if I don't. And I'm like, why you, so you have digestive problems. So it's, it seems like the people that eat the most greens usually have some sort of digestive problems or, or constipation problems. And it's, yeah, it, it takes a while for them to, I think, to put the two and two together that it's like, maybe you shouldn't want to eat that. <laughs> yeah. Well, your condition, right? Like you need more fiber, right? Fiber helps remove toxins from the, the small intestine and the colon, right? right. So lack of fiber, you might not be able to remove as much toxins. And I'm like, well, Okay, but on the same level that this undigestible fiber is actually feeding the exact by bacteria you might be trying to get rid of, and it's slowing gut transient time because it's right. undigestible. And if, if it's for some reason you're in some sort of hypometabolic state, energy is not going towards the gut, then you're going to have a reduced level of foods being broken. I mean, your your digestive system gets hit on so many levels mm-hmm. when you don't have enough energy. Yeah. Right. And we have our two systems, right? We have a sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight, and you have your parasympathetic, your rest and digest. It's in the rest and digest for a reason, because you actually need to rest for the energy to go into the gut so that can actually do everything it needs to be doing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you're in that stress position, which everybody is in today's world, everyone's in like fight or flight all the time. Big time. time. Right. No energy flow is going into the, the gut area. Right. So digestive enzymes are decreased or stomach enzymes are decreased pancreatic enzymes are decreased mm-hmm. transient time i mean every hydrochloric acid is depleted or lower everything gets depleted yeah. and so then you have undigested food moving into the small intestine you know creating it to be slow and then mm-hmm. bacteria goes in the small intestine so you get all of these things start happening and then you add more undigested food to get in there or more hard to digest food into there. And you just keep overloading it. Right. right? And right. It just creates this symphony of, you know, think about your intestinal areas, hot, warm, go get, go get some greens, especially now be <laughs> hot for the next two weeks in California. Yeah. Just leave them out and yeah. see how well they do in your hot. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that little Ray, that Ray gives that example of take a, a baggie and put some greens in there and then take another, you know, baggie, put, put a carrot in there and put them in your pocket. Sure. And, you know, after a while, the greens are going to be just mushy and disgusting looking and the carrot will be fine, which is what's happening yep. in your, in your uh, gut, I guess. But of course, if you're healthy, right. And you're 20 years old and you eat a giant plate of greens, I think you're fine. But Basically, what ends up happening if you're not healthy is you're creating this huge problem. And I think what people end up doing then is then they just start eating less and less and less because they don't feel good or they feel constipated, kind of stuffy because they have all that stuff going on in their gut. And then they eat less and then they tell you, well, I'm intermittent fasting, so I'm doing much better when I'm not eating. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what the keto and carnivore diets did for people. Um, Right. Carnivore more though than keto, I guess, because keto still adds some greens in there. But carnivore basically removes all these carbohydrates, all of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you actually remove the the food that's going slow and creating the bacterial overgrowth, 
and you remove them entirely, yeah, you're going to feel better. Um, but it's just creating this bandaid, um, because now you're depleting yourself on other things. You know, you're not getting enough carbohydrate because you need your energy source, right? You have to have it. And if your body, so if all you're going to do now is give your body meat and fat, somewhere along the line, it's going to have to convert that, which creates a stress system, right? To create some sort of gluconeogenesis to get the glucose that you actually need to run your system. So it's kind of a backdoor approach. I think that can work temporarily until you're, you know, especially for women, I see it. I mean, their hormones just go into the gutter after six months or a year. And then they're in a a nice deep hole of everything sucks. And at that point they're having a hard time digesting everything. Yeah. Yeah. The woman, a lot of women that do the low carb diets and a lot of cardio. Yeah. They lean out, but boy, they don't feel good. They don't feel good. I don't know. So yeah, you know, so the greens is one kind of thing. And, and another big thing that people have a hard time wrapping their minds around is dairy. Because, you know, dairy, I mean, we are the only animals that eat other animals' milk. You know, did you know that, Kate? You know, and so they say this a lot of times and they kind of find dairy disgusting and they always reach for almond milk or, um, you know, what, what is it now? Oat milk. They have so many new fucking milks that they create now. Don't you think it's, I, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if they have like a, I don't know, a, you know, a, a bamboo milk. I mean, it's just crazy. The, the, the amounts of milks they're creating. I'm just like, do you really think that's something you should be drinking regularly? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's, you can look at least dairy studies and, and at least see there's a history of research. Mm-hmm. on milk, you know, and is all of it good? Nope. Um, is there a lot of beneficial? I mean, but you know, like with every food, it's, I think it's really hard to just control that variable mm-hmm. and to see. So you do have to look at cultures. You do have to kind of look at what the food provides and how it's digested to kind of really assimilate into our physiology. Is it more optimal? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you find bad studies with milk? Yeah, because they're basically using a consensus form, asking people, you know, do you drink milk? What else do you do? I smoke, I do this. Like, okay, milk is correlated (laughs) with higher heart disease. And so. Right. (laughs) It's like the meat studies, right? It's like, well, I go to Wendy's every day. I eat a lot of meat. And it's just like, well, that's not what we're talking about, my friend. (laughs) Right. Right. And, And in a world where, right, and you can probably look at it in a lot of areas where people maybe are eating a lot of conventionally farmed dairy. They just might be eating a lot of other you know, people, as they say, are, who are more health minded might be making other healthier choices, even though almond milks aren't healthier, but maybe they're just exercising more or they're not over consuming or they're not eating processed foods or fast food. So you you have to look at the whole picture to kind of see, well, what else are they doing? Right. Is it the milk causing it or is it the other seven bad habits that they're doing right mm-hmm. now that are all, they're creating that issue? And that's why it's hard to really look at a lot of studies and go, okay, definitely, if you do this, this is going to happen, right? So, right. Um, but going back to just research, at least we can study cultures. We can look at cultures that are high dairy consuming cultures, and we see that they are usually much healthier and they live longer and they have lower heart disease and lower cancers. So we have to take that into consideration and also just understanding, okay, milk is a filtered food. Um, it has a high level of calcium in it that we do need and optimal sugars that help calcium absorption, good fat, good mm-hmm. protein, balanced food, and see that, okay, all those things are supported where we can see something like processed almond milk or 
nut milk or soy milk or any yeah. of these other ones, we With basically have very little research on at all. Yeah, and lots of additives too that people don't even know. Carrageenan, gore gums, and all these fucking things that people right. don't know anything about. But I mean, how do you, you know, because people are, again, for example, when you, when you switched over from being high protein, in that time, were you consuming dairy? And when you started drinking more dairy, did you have issues with it or you were fine? Um, I didn't have digestibility. I mean, when I switched, you know, I was a big almond milk drinker. Mm-hmm. That was my gig. Um, <laughs> an all- almond I, breeze, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think I went to first milk I started with was like raw whole milk. Mm. I think that was wow. where I first went because we mm-hmm. could get it here. And, you know, there was basically, it, it's a live food. So I think it might've upset my stomach a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't remember drinking copious amounts of milk in the beginning i feel like and i might have had some dairy i maybe had some goat cheese prior to this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but all of a sudden i started eating more cheese and i had some ice cream you know mm-hmm. and so oh, yeah i did gain weight um i broke out horribly when i made all these changes yeah. i think my hormones just went what are you doing and i think yeah. i woke everything back up Which a lot so of people they- when they drink milk that's one of their complaints is like acne the other one is just you know uh, diarrhea or all kinds of things and i've had similar experience like you when i i've done all kinds of experiments in my fitness journey one was just i took out dairy for a long time and then i had the same thing i went to you know like a co-opportunity here in la and i got like uh um the green pastures raw milk and i think i drank about a half gallon of it because from russia in a lot of people drink milk and you know growing up i drank a lot of milk so i naturally just love milk um but when I drank at that time, for, after not having it for a bunch of months, I had bad diarrhea for a few days there. And so you think, yeah. so your n- initial reaction is going to be like, well, milk's not good for me because I took it out for a while and now I have it and it's bad for me. Do you think it's, it's that simple? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and raw milk in itself, right? I mean, <clears throat> and we also know thing about cows and, and how they're eating and what eating their grass. And I mean, just a cow seasonal change can change the milk in itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I've had, uh, um, uh, what is it here? What is the raw milk? Organic green, pastures. Green, or, yeah. Green pastures. I think it's called. I'm pretty sure. And so, and I've gotten their milk at certain times and sometimes it's actually created some digestive issues with me, you know, and it's basically, you know, depending on when the cow and where they're feeding and so forth, it can change basically how they are giving the milk. So it could change on you. So does that mean the milk is bad? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but it couldn't be essentially w- what the cows are producing. Um, yeah. but for most people that haven't been consuming dairy, um, they might be, you know, they, they might be lactose intolerant at this point. Their body might not be producing lactase mm-hmm. to be able to digest and break down. Because if you, if your body's not doing something for a long time, you know, your small intestines like that we don't need to do this. You know, we don't need to do this. You're not consuming any dairy. And so if you add all of a sudden a bunch back in a cup, two cups, three cups, four cups. Yeah. Your body's like, we aren't producing any lactose. And so yes, you're probably going to have some bloating, gut issues, diarrhea, Mm -hmm. all of that could happen. And plus usually those people are already have some, something going on with their guts, right? That because usually people take out dairy for that, those sort of reasons, you know, they think that something's causing totally. problems and yes. they take it out and then they put it back in. Oh, it's even worse. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I would say 80% of the people I work with have gut issues of mm-hmm. some sort, mm-hmm. constipation, diarrhea, bloating, whatever, there's something going on. And yeah. so when you add a lot of foods back in and, and that's why transitioning for, to, from whatever diet you're doing, 
to this needs to be a slow and steady procedure. It, it, it should not be A to Z. I know a lot of people go A to Z. I did A to Z. Mm -hmm. um, you will have a lot of side effects and things that you that are not going to be super wonderful feeling. And I mean, you can go that route. I think your body will adapt eventually. Yeah. Um, but, or you can just go slow and steady and not have to deal with that as much. Yeah. yeah. So do you think lactose intolerance, cause that's people that turn that people throw out there. Do you, I mean, do you think, you know, is it kind of a real thing? Because I've read studies where, you know, they said they have lactose intolerance and they gave people, a, I think it was a teaspoon or a tablespoon. I can't remember of milk. Uh, every day and then over time their guts adjusted then they were having half a cup then they were having a cup and they were doing mm -hmm. just fine i think there's probably some people that have a real lactose intolerance i mean mm -hmm. uh, i pretty much everyone i have worked with we can usually slowly get them more adapted to drinking milk again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some adapt pretty easily some we have to certainly experiment with different kinds of milk and kind of depending on where their gut health is but for the most people uh, I would say 90% mm -hmm. we'll, we can get them back to drinking. So, but do I think some people probably have a true lactose intolerance? Yeah, I think it's, it's out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some people have it. It's interesting because yeah, but I think people definitely have to try it out first. Like you said, starting slow. I just, I really don't think most people are. I think most people are just, like you said, they're just going to have a cup and they're like, oh, I feel terrible. So I'm never going to have it again. So, you know. Yeah. And that could be right. And I think that's why you have to understand that that's a possibility. And I think you have to understand you know, food is, is like a drug. I mean, it can affect your body that way. Dose is important. And it's mm -hmm. like anything. If you, if you become more tolerant of it, you should be able to tolerate more mm -hmm. just like you possibly could with a drug. Um, but this is in a good way. And if your body, especially if your body is in a, in a very hypometabolic mode and you might have a hard time tolerating anything because you're just not getting the energy to your digestive system. Your pancreas could be affected right? Your small intestine, all of these things could be affected that could be affecting how you digest something like milk. And so until you kind of work on fixing those, mm -hmm. adding something like milk in might just create more problems. So, you know, maybe you wait on that. Maybe you work on some gut health first and then slowly try to add that back in. Yeah. I, I work with some uh, older clients, you know, in their 60s, stuff like that. Um, and all, all, as soon as you get into that age, I think all their doctors always tell them like, hey, you should be having more calcium. They always, pro, um, like no problem, they give them a, you know, a, a prescription pill for calcium, you know. But I find that young people or anybody, until, until you're 65, nobody ever talks about calcium. <laughs> why do you think calcium, I mean, wh why is calcium so important? Uh, oh, you don't think that, see, I feel like calcium has been a part of my life. I mean, maybe it's just for women, right? And we're told that, you know, maybe that when you're going pre-menopause or what, you know, because you're basically told, you know, low estrogen is going to create a calcium depletion of your bones, which is completely mm -hmm. incorrect. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, estrogen in itself can create a calcium deficiency in the bones, but essentially stress in itself, right? It's one of the stress factors. When your body's under stress, um, parathyroid hormone will rise. It'll pull calcium from the bones to put into the blood. If you don't have enough calcium in the diet, mm -hmm. that hormone rises under stress, like all of the other stress mediators. So, you know, people think, you know, I have high calcium in the blood. I shouldn't have any calcium in my diet. And when the exact opposite is true, if you add more calcium, then it won't be pulling it out of your bones. So that right. usually those people have that same thing, bone breakdown. You know, and I've talked to women who are osteopenia, osteoporosis, mm -hmm. no calcium, or they're taking a calcium supplement. And, you know, and it's just a not ideal. I mean, 99% of your bones is 
calcium. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the minerals that's regulated in the blood, and it has to stay at a certain level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you, and that's why again, if you if you don't have enough, your body will say we can just pull it from what we have stored. Yeah, a, a lot of like I said, you know, people that are twenties, thirties, they all think that they're getting plenty of calcium from greens, and that's why it's not really talked about. I feel like until women and men get older, for and you know, looking it up. Um, I think the RDA, the US RDA, it's like a thousand or twelve hundred milligrams, something like that. Um, it might be even lower, but yeah, it's not considerably yeah. that. High. Well, yeah, we all know how. I mean, they're they're on top of it, you know, with the food right. recommendations that they give. <laughs> but I'm I'm just trying to say my point is that you know even the most conventional you know pl- uh, organization recommends that, and a cup of spinach has about thirty five milligrams, something like that. You know, it's it's. 50 milligrams it's it's not even close to having a high dose of calcium whereas milk you know a cup has 350 400 milligrams i think of calcium yeah and and, you know and and some people come back and say hey these cultures that you know basically don't live in an industrialized nation Mm -hmm. like cook make their own food Mm -hmm. you know they survive uh 200 milligrams of calcium Right. right. And they're healthy. And I'm like, that is comparing such a, you know, you live in a stressed <laughs> world yeah. and in a stressed world, you need more of these minerals because you're recirculating and stress, these stress meetings are going to pull them through your system more. Yeah. So yeah, if you're like, to me to always do these cultural comparisons is mm. insane because <laughs> there's so I'm many differences <laughs> here to you to say that you have no idea what is helping and contributing. And maybe if you live like that, that would be fine. Yeah, but in you're... our society, <laughs> yeah, our society, you're right, right? You, I mean, milk and dairy are your ideal. Usually a serving is going to yeah, give you about 300 milligrams per serving. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to go into the upper spectrum and, and recommend between like 1,800 to 1,000 milligrams a day. I think mm-hmm. that's more ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to take in consideration the, the phosphorus level. That's fairly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, in a, in a diet that's primarily meat, what a chai had before, it was like a high, I had a very high phosphorus diet mm-hmm. to calcium. And mm-hmm. when you have those ratios that are off, right, again, it's going to stress the system and that's when you're going to pull more calcium into the blood. Mm-hmm. So a low meat and low grain, because mm-hmm. those both have high phosphorus and no calcium, mm-hmm. um, high milk, because cal- uh, milk is going to, or milk in general is going to have calcium and phosphorus um, is going to be more ideal. And for an average person, what would that be to get that you know minimum that you're you're saying is you think is uh, important eighteen eighteen hundred you said to two thousand what, what what would a day of uh, dairy look like like that for a person? You're looking at like six to eight servings. Wow. So it could be two quarts of milk, could be a quart of milk, and a couple of servings of cheese and some ice cream or some cottage cheese and some yogurt. So I usually like to say six to eight servings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like you said, always start slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean some people do like you said mm-hmm. start with a tablespoon a day yeah. because your body will slowly shift and adapt and if you can do and then i'm like okay do a tablespoon with each meal mm-hmm. do an ounce with each meal do two ounces with each meal and as long as you seem to be tolerating sooner you can be able to handle you know a couple cups a day yeah it's tough so that's why i think that paleo argument of you know you know, what, what did our caveman do or what, like you said, it's just so hard. To, if you're an Aborigine and you're just sitting in the mountains chilling all day, like I think you can do fine with eating just a few, some plants and uh, some meat here and there versus our crazy environment that we live in today. 
I mean, what yeah. Are, yeah. Well, what are like the biggest, you know, stressors you think to people? Is it like, where are they going wrong? Is it sleep? Is it diet? All, all, all sorts of things. I think it's, I mean, you look at our world today, you have a, a, a pandemic, you have social unrest, <laughs> um, you yeah. have possibilities of you can't get to work or you're not at work. So financial, um, obviously relationship and family, those can be stressors, you know, putting food on your table. I mean, there's a lot of stressors right now. Then we have just environmental, um, water pollution. I think our water's crappy. I think our, the air is crappy. I yeah. think our, our food quality, even good food has a low mineral con lower mineral content than it used to probably 50 years ago. Cause our soy, soy's soils are crappy. Yeah. So and then you have EMFs, I mean, and you have TV and you have inter I mean, you have <laughs> layer on layer on layer. And it's like, this has changed significantly than it was 60 years ago. It, yeah. It's changed. since I was a, a young kid, you know? Yeah. So yes, we have more, um, things that make our life easy, phones, mm -hmm. computers, but you know, we, and we have more drugs apparently, you know, cause people will say, well, my <laughs> medicine is, is helping. I'm like, medicine yeah, or San Diego kind of medicine. Right. Or what? <laughs> but I think everything that the medical community is creating to help people live longer. I mean, ultimately, yeah, maybe, and we're not even living longer anymore, but I think we are yeah, just that's creating, arguable, right? Yeah. That's arguable. We're creating people that are living longer, but this are sicker. Yeah. They're on more medications. They're on more drugs. I mean, yeah. And the environment and, the, you know, especially, I mean, I've talked to a lot of healthy people. I mean, San Diego is a pretty healthy place per se. Yeah. People are active. They're concerned about what they're eating. They have the, 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 the money to provide themselves with good food. Yet a lot of them are still in a world where sugar is bad. Yep. Eat dairy less. is bad. Be restrictive. Mm -hmm. And all of these people, you start talking to them, they start having issues, especially women. So they're going to start having hormonal issues, which is going to create anxiety, which is going to create sleep issues, yeah. which is going to, and they're going to be hypo, hypometabolic, hypothyroid. So then they have elevated cholesterol. So by the time that they're still being healthy, they're on four or five medications yeah. to, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think, yes, sleep is a stressor, but I think all those things that I just talked about are creating poor sleep. Definitely. So that sleep is the kind of the result of all these other things. But then, yes, poor sleep is also going to be a stressor. It's yep. going to make it all kind of just keep going, you know. And when people get into this cycle, um, your dietary shift is, is important. Mm -hmm. But usually it's some other lifestyle choices that need to be adjusted to really uh, get your health back. Yeah. And people are some – I don't know where it comes from. People are just so pushed into – pushing through all that shit. Just shove that down. Keep going. You got five hours of sleep last night? Well, I got four. Fuck you. I can do better. You know, it's just, yeah. I don't know what it is. People And people have a hard time. And I think when you're initially teaching people to slow down, to do these things, they, like you said, they have this separation anxiety from, oh, I, I can't, I can't do that. I need to be constantly, you know, on this adrenaline rush all day long. Yeah. I mean, I don't think our society, our, our entire society, to me, you know, and I live through it. I live all, through all the stages, right? Mm -hmm. Partying and overworking and over-exercising and pushing really, really hard. I mean, to be honest, I mean, when I wrote my book, it was a massive push, even though I was trying to tell. <laughs> but I would, I had to work on the weekends, and then I. But it was a, a passionate thing for me at that time, so it didn't feel that way, I guess, as sure. much yeah. until the end of it. But 
yeah, was it exhausting? Absolutely. I mean, so there's a certain level of drive, I think, that has to go through to get things accomplished. I think it's just the fact that we don't have these rest periods. You know, I think European cultures, they were, they were much better at that. They used to have a, a lot of rest time, a lot of vacation time. You know, yeah. you, you work hard and then you rest and recuperate. We started taking that rest and recuperate out of the equation. You know, so we just go hard all the time. Barely take a vacation, barely rest, keep going don't recuperate. And then all of a sudden you're hitting walls and then yeah. you think I cannot stop. So then you go get medicated and you feel like, okay, I feel a little bit better because I've mm-hmm. removed some of my symptoms. So instead of adjusting, mm-hmm. you don't, you just keep going and keep yeah. going until the, until the wheels completely fall off. And by that time, it's not going to take one or two little things to fix you. It's taking a complete lifestyle overhaul to fix you maybe a few years yeah and a lot of people's uh resting is like you know going to vegas and getting shit-faced for a few days you know so and i don't know if that's resting you know drinking a lot smoking a lot it's just yeah it's gotta be yeah that was usually my definition of a vacation it was (laughs) way more exhausted than i did and i I was i lived on that high i mean i was an adrenaline junkie and it's a fun place to be it's just not sustainable And, you know, and if you can realize that earlier on, I mean, I I wish I'd realized that in my 20s. I didn't. I kept pushing it well into my 30s and with just different mechanisms. And, you know, I mean, the good news is you can pull out of it. You know, my life is very different now. I I don't live that way anymore. Um, So and it's I just don't want to, for one thing. And I realize I don't have to. Mm -hmm. But I realize it's just not a sustainable way to live. Mm -hmm. So when you were having all your problems and you switched over, how, how long did it take before you felt like all your problems settled down and everything went, you know, got better? Um, like all the side effects I got, I got broken out, I started having some hormonal issues that kind of self-corrected in probably six months. Mm-hmm. I would say the weight shift probably took closer to a year for mm-hmm. things to kind of recalibrate back to that I felt comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even at that time, you know, I, I, there was still some stuff in my brain. I was just so, you know, I, I still was a big workout girl at that point, And yeah. I, I used to teach a lot of classes. And so I was still heavy into training a ton, mm-hmm. um, at that point. And <clears throat> so that probably didn't serve me very well. Um, <laughs> I, think I, 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 I did another 150 mile bike ride, which again, I mean, I tried Oof. to take everything into consideration. 150 miles. Wow. Where'd you do that? Uh, I did it for a ride for charity for cancer. We wow. did up to Julian and, and back. Wow. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I think it, you should have a little bit of these things in your life. But every time I would do something like that, yeah, I'd kind of have to refix things. You know, I just realized to not do them all the time. Um, but, you know, you, it, if you still love to do things, if you still like to go hike, mm-hmm. you should be able to do those things. You know, right. should you do them every single weekend for a massive amounts of time? Probably not if you're trying to regain your health and keep your health. Yeah. You know, I think everything is a balance. Yeah. I think what I like about this work is it allows people to understand themselves better. I think that's the biggest. It's not about teaching you what foods to eat or <clears throat> it's it's really about you learning about what my body is trying to tell me, right? Okay, if I have a busy day today, what does that look like for me to stay nourished? What mm-hmm. do I need to do? You know, mm-hmm. I need to probably have more carbohydrates. I need to make sure I have these things available to me so that you can constantly always keep your body in a sustainable place. And, you know, that's the whole point so that your body is not ever lagging, that you're not ever pushing it into that high stress state where bad things happen. 
And so it's really trying to figure out oh, how you can constantly support yourself. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, carbohydrates and, you know, low carb diet is so popular right now. You know, it's, it's the carnivore, the keto. Um, how do you, you know, because people are kind of, you know, and especially when you're low carb, you really start thinking that I don't really need carbohydrates, you know, because you're, you think you're doing just fine with muscle meats and you're doing fine with fat and you feel pretty good. I mean, you know, your book is called How to Heal Your Metabolism. And what is the real fuel for your metabolism? Is it carbohydrate? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, your, your body runs on glucose. Right. It'll always pick glucose as its first line of energy. Yeah. Meaning if, that, I, if I give you an avocado and some honey with it, your body was going to use the honey up first. Well, that depends. It depends on the state of your health, right? right. If you're well, coming yeah. from a carb, if you're coming from a keto adaptive state, then your body, what will happen is it will try to use the fat and just raise your blood sugar level. So that might feel pretty crappy to you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. So you have to remember, going into a keto or a carnivore state is a very adaptive state. I mean, your body is learning to run on fat or ketones. It's you know, so the body is now adapted away from sugar. Yeah. So when you add sugar back in, if you add too much at one time, you will feel like complete dog shit. And, if, and, you will <laughs> and, and most people do, right, when they first switch over. Or vice versa too, right? Yeah, when they yeah, switch over. They have from... massive blood sugar swings. They feel worse. They feel anxious, you know, mm -hmm. especially if you do it too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you need to let the body shift back slowly. So it's like small, consistent meals, you know, especially if you've been like, intermittent fasting, right? If you've been doing like one meal or two meals a day, yeah. low carb, um, <laughs> you're going to have to go micro meals with a little bit to and allow your body to start utilizing it. So the best way of doing that you're saying is to maybe have a, some carbs, some fat and some protein at each meal. Is that the way you would go about it? 100%. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You, I mean, cause that, that combo is going to help balance it into your blood sugar, right? Mm -hmm. Just having a ton of carbohydrates at once, especially in a system that's not used to having them will just mm -hmm. elevate blood sugar level, you know, elevate it. So you're going to start going on the, the blood sugar roller coaster. Yeah. And just having and that's it. a lot of people are like, I just don't do well on carbs. Cause when I eat them, I feel like garbage. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so let's go at a slower pace. You know, maybe we need to get 20% carbohydrates, some fat, some protein, in a meal, not too big, and then see how that does for you. You know, how does that make you feel? Okay, that felt pretty good. Okay, then do that every two or three hours yeah. for a while, and then we'll slowly start shifting the macronutrients. All right, right now a little bit more carbohydrates. Let's see how you do. It you know it, it is a in a constant adjustment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't just a because I do have people contacting me like, can you just write me up a plan? And I'm like, nope, I, I can't, <laughs> and it wouldn't be beneficial to you if I did. It yeah. would be right, because you, I don't know what you're doing now, and that is important. And what you're doing now needs to sh slowly, slowly change into something that makes it more supportive for your body. And right. you know, I don't want to go too fast, and I don't want to add things in that I think might constantly trigger you or you know give you some digestive upset. So everything is a slow, consistent process. Yeah. So working um, with somebody like you is good because you can kind of help coach them along the way. Yeah. I think so. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I to me. I think if you can do it on yourself, the, the, the information to be able to do it is totally in that book. Mm -hmm. Like it's there. If you can apply it in a way that works for you, it is available. And, and some people do that and that that's all they need. Um, for a good part of people, it's too much for them to wrap their head around and all their, especially with women, old beliefs starting to come in a way and they're still fearful of sugar. They're still fearful of dairy, <laughs> you know, and as soon as 
They, you know, eat something and they think, oh my God, I've had too much carbohydrates. They just, oh, I'm just going to not eat anything. You know, so they start start with that old, yeah. You know, your brain, it will play tricks on you and it likes to do, be consistent and it likes, you know, things to feel safe. And even if your bad habits were horrible, Mm -hmm, it felt mm -hmm. safe in that place. And so to, to get you out of your comfort zone, your, your, you know, your brain thinks there's more threat involved in that. Yeah. Oh, it stresses you a little bit. Of course, yeah. which so, makes things even worse, and you go up even more on that roller coaster ride. Yeah, right. Going yeah. slowly is the way. Yeah, because you know, even me when when I you know, because I've also been lower carb for the most part of my fitness journey, and it's like as soon as I would have some carbs, I would get fat right away. If I had some rice, if I had some potatoes, oh. right away I get fat. You know, and then so you you know instinctively you think, well, then it must be the carbohydrates that's the problem. You know, and. And so you start eating less and then you start eating less and then less and then less. And then that was for me when I got to a point where I started thinking, well, maybe that's not a sign of a healthy metabolism because, you know, we're always jealous of those people that go to McDonald's every day and, you know, eat all kinds of shit and they have a six pack and they're lean and, um, yeah, they just look great no matter what they eat. You know, it's like, I wish I was that person, but I'm not. But I think, so do you think what really separates those type of people is just that metabolism? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I, I can, you know, you see it more with men than women because, I mean, I think women learn at a very young age that they're going to start dieting, mm-hmm. um, and women are just, you know, horrible creatures in today's world where they're constantly comparing with their friend, and you know, if I, and they realize real quick they can control their weight by eating less. Yeah, and so that's what they do. And men, on the other hand, especially if they're an athlete, they have to eat an enormous amount of food <laughs> to keep that, you know, and they have. Yeah. You know, that more of the androgen hormones, so they have higher levels of testosterone, growth hormone going through them, that they can just consume so many more calories and and still be very, very lean. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not, not like all women are like. Some women athletes can do that as well. Um, they're not, I wouldn't say, the super petite ones that all these girls want to be, you know. <laughs> so... But Which yeah. is funny <laughs> because, you know, the culture is slowly changing, though, I think. Not not, not everybody wants to be petite anymore, you know, so that's good. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, I mean, some are, it is, you know, maybe that a that 80s, Kardashian 90s. swing or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so but, that maybe that has shifted, although they're, you know, they're they're on their, they're on their own obsessions. But, over I mean, they're, they're all natural, obviously. That's just eating, you know. They're <laughs> but point being is I do think women end up doing more destruction quite early for long periods of time. It starts certainly becoming a mental thing with them. Right. Um, you know, that's why you see so many more eating disorders and binge, not to say it's not within men as well. Uh, I certainly see it a lot more in women. And so I think women very early on do some damage mm-hmm. and then they try to keep that under wraps for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Right. And yeah. so, and they do it with exercise and they try to eat precise and precision and it's just a constant with them where for men if they've been active it doesn't seem to be it could be well into their 30 40 50s or even later that even some never even have an issue Mm -hmm. you know or maybe if they get out of college and they're not as active anymore and now they start beer drinking or whatever and start eating more crap and they're not as active and they start gaining weight and yeah and certainly play but you know my my experience is, is those that have dieted the most usually have the most metabolic damage right right and so you know, and there's probably many things that women are doing wrong. But I mean, as far as today, 2020, I mean, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that, you know, or, or just things that women can do just to help fix those problems that they're having? Uh, the biggest thing that I would see that a lot of women have is they become vegan. 
yeah. I think is incredibly detrimental to a woman's health, um, not only nutritionally, but usually what happens, they don't get nearly enough protein in. Mm-hmm. And so you start seeing a massive hormonal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of estrogen dominance. They start getting PCOS. Um, <clears throat> so, and a lot of it is their liver's not being supported. So it's unable to detoxify the estrogen. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to start getting these wonderful hormonal imbalances, which at that point they might go to the doctor and they say, oh, let's put you on the pill. Yeah. Um, that'll help you, yeah. um, which creates more. Or they think they're going crazy. So like you just need an antidepressant. They put them on that. SSRIs. Right. So you yeah. see these young women that are getting on two or three medications at the age of 20. Um, none of them are really doing their health any good. Yeah. And they're still eating vegan because they think it's super healthy for them. And they're, you know, and a lot of them, you know, can you be a healthy vegan? I think it's pretty hard. I think if you probably were eating a ton of food and you were making it all yourself, Mm -hmm. you might have a better chance. Yeah. Uh, But if, you know, today's world, if it's hip, there's a lot of prepackaged vegan food out there. So it's highly processed. And then you're, you know, I see they're getting like these fake cheeses and fake milks and (laughs) burgers and all of it has a ton of polyunsaturated fat in it. And Mm -hmm. so all of it isn't particularly healthy for you. Um, So I I think, you know, a lack of animal proteins is, is very detrimental to somebody's health. Yeah, which, you know, and they also come from a place of sympathy. And, you know, I've talked about this with uh, another guest, Kyle Mamunis, is like, there's something, some sort of thing in, in with people that we feel as if we're being more spiritual when we're avoiding all animal products, you know, as if we're kind of ascending this realm kind of thing, you know? I, uh, I mean, I... I, I... And, you know, and I think it's with every young generation, there's a level of we're saving the world yes. that comes out. Yes. And so they're, they're given this belief. And, you know, you can look back in history and see it in the 70s. Right. Um, that there's this huge, we're going to change the world. Free love. Going on. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, the, and I think, again, they're, they're getting a lot of information out of complete context and right. running with it. And then going, we're going to animal rights, you know all the animals are creating all this pollution and they don't understand the big picture, I think of what's really happening. And so mm-hmm. they, they hang on to that because it sounds good and it seems like that should be the right answer, right? but it's just not when you look at it in the bigger picture. Yeah. And so they, you know, and a lot of people I talk to them and they'll be like, I just will not eat any animal food. I'm like, well, it's going to really affect your health. So you have to make a choice at this point. It's either, do you want your health back or, you want to feel like you're protecting animals that if we weren't eating them, other animals would eat them because yeah, it's, a, it's a flawed ideology. Right? Yeah. It's a flawed yeah. ideology because also all those, all those beans that you want to eat, right? I mean, other animals were kept away from all those beans, right? When they're being farmed. I mean, other things are killed. Deers are killed. Uh, little bugs are killed, you know, which, um, you know, that reminds me of Paul's Czech philosophy where he talked about there's really nothing that's vegetarian because even the plants eat, you know, mycorrhiza in the in the soil. And I think it's true. I mean, we, we do have this obsession, right? Where it's like a cow, it's cute. A bug is not cute. So it's okay. That can die. A cow can't die. It's not good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can get, I mean, I love animals. I'm a huge animal lover. So I would feel like if all of a sudden I grew up with this cow and I created this bond, I probably would have a really hard time eating that cow. For sure. Um, there might be that part of it. And I can, I can understand that, you know, but I also understand a bigger picture that a lot of, you know, again, get the best sources that you can. I, I mean, I do think industrializing the farming uh, industry created this um, 
basically we were, we were creating it, you know, we used to have the cows on the farm and the manure would be used to fertilize all the farming. And it was a good cycle. But now that we've industrialized and separated everything, it just doesn't work anymore. You know, now all the manures and everything that the gases and the, the cows are producing is becoming toxic because it's not being utilized properly. Whereas all the, the, the soils now are being under fertilized. And so they're not giving in, in enough nutrients to our food anymore. And so the system that we created to essentially make che- food cheaper and make more money yeah. isn't really working. You know, yeah. it's taking yeah. all this time to, to do this. And, you know, but we're not really being told that we're, or we will we ever be told that because there's too many people's lobbying in our government areas and there's too much money involved at this point to ever come back and say, you know what? All of this stuff. <laughs> It's corn and wheat yeah it's it's still right. good Everything yeah we do, soy corn wheat all this stuff we've mass producing is horrible for you yeah so food, horrible for you because it'll never ever happen yeah and i mean i've talked to a lot of vegans and they're you know the smarter ones they're they have the studies ready they'll pull out studies that say you know soy or tofu is just as the same quality protein as beef or you know they have they have these studies i don't know how the fuck they do these studies but they find these studies where you know and it's like hey okay i mean you don't really need to eat animal products i mean how do you (laughs) how do you have that talk with somebody like that (laughs) i mean you know i don't know if they're analyzing soy to meat you know to me it's like how is your body assimilating it so I, i definitely understand that the other components that are coming in with a vegetable protein are not being able to be utilized by the human body. It's usually assumed that you have to have double the vegetable protein to get the same amount of animal protein. Yeah. And nobody does that. I mean, in fact, it's probably the opposite. They probably have 50% of the protein. So, (laughs) you know, if you're getting a massive amount, but you know, the protein sources are coming bound in food. that's really hard for our human body to break down. So yes, maybe that protein source is fine. When you yeah. look under it under a microscope, but how is our body able to break it down and utilize it is the, the next question. That's the big and, one, right? And they call that a bioavailability, right? Basically, like how how well you can you can absorb that, and that's the thing. And I think, like you said, so that's kind of for those people that are confused, you know, because it's just like you said, they're looking at it under a microscope. They look the same, and that's great. But when you put it inside your body and gets digested by enzymes, and all kinds of things are happening in your in your digestive tract, I mean, they become two very 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 different things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like I said, sugar in a cookie and sugar in your, your fruit, you might look, both look like sugar, yeah. but they're the way they're coming into your system and the other components that they're coming in with makes that food very different and your body will have a different effect from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're, you're looking at one little blippet of a, of a scenario and you need to kind of open your lens up and, and see everything there, yeah. you know? And, I mean, I usually have no desire to argue with anyone about their food choices if they're happy. If yeah. they're everything they're good, I'm like, I you know, keep doing what you're doing. If that makes you happy and you feel good, then all the more power to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The sad part it's just yeah, and, and I'm not I'm not in that business either. <laughs> but it's just the sad part that I, I do find I have sympathy for people that, you know, they say they're doing great, but again, you see them not eating a lot and they're very skinny and they have all kinds of problems and anxiety and, and then they're and they go to their doctor and they're told that's in your head, Kate. You're crazy. You know, it's yeah. just in your head. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, that is, you know, you have a, and you have a medical system being supported by the pharmaceutical companies that basically their way to help you is to figure out what your symptom is and then give you a remedy drug. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and, and they, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't go to your doctor anymore for a two hour visit. They're not sitting down. Tell me about your life. How are you doing? What's going on? Mm-hmm. How's your diet? What's your stress like? What's happening? You know, mm-hmm. it's what's going on. What's your symptom? Okay. Yep. I can give you this. That's mm-hmm. your conversation. So, yeah. And do you, so do you ever use, um, labs as something, you know, or blood work as something that, you know, you can base off your diet recommendations to people? I don't need it. Um, mm-hmm. but if someone has it, mm-hmm. I definitely look at it. I think it can give you some information. Um, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if someone's coming in, they have a high TSH, they have super high cholesterol, um, they have low vitamin D, you know, yeah, you can take a good gamble of some things that might be happening to them mm-hmm. and why they might be feeling so crappy. Um, yeah. but is it necessary? I mean, I think if you kind of look at their symptoms, you look at their temperature and pulse, how are they feeling? Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're eating. Um, I personally like to use chronometer, you mm-hmm. know, to log food. I think it's a pretty good um, assessment tool that kind of lets you see all the micro, the minerals, the vitamins, nutrients, and you know it, whether it's 100% correct is kind of irrelevant. It just kind of says, all right, this is where we might be lacking. Yeah, these are the things we might need to support you. You know, work on eating these foods. Um, I think it gives you a, a little better. And, and people never realize that how nutrient deficient. Some people have 2,000 calories in their diet, and they are like 30% of all their nutrients <laughs> because the diet is just not supported with enough nutrient dense food. Yeah, yeah, those are great. So you know, you don't rely too much upon those um, screenshots. Kind of to me, you know, a bl- blood work is like screenshot, right? Because it's like in that totally. moment, in that time. And I've had friends who actually took blood, uh, you know, same time and sent to, you know, one person took their different samples, sent them in, and both samples were a little different, you know, and I think that yep. happens quite a lot to oh, people. Yeah. So I think people yep. get... I actually had two blood, same blood, mm-hmm. same day, mm-hmm. <clears throat> two different cholesterol checks, because I think I was doing, a, I purchased some labs online and both of them had a cholesterol profile, mm-hmm. um, came back and there was literally a 25% difference in the wow. cholesterol numbers. Wow. Same blood. Yep. Same lab. <laughs> That's right? crazy. So, yeah. But the crazy part, the more crazy part is that how easy a doctor could look at something like that and give you a pill just like that. Boom. Here we go. Statin or, you know, SSRI yep. or whatever the fuck else you need. I'll give it to you just off that one little screenshot that you have. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, it's... You can talk to people to, to find out how that doesn't work. I mean, maybe it works a little, I guess. I mean, maybe they come back and they say, you know, especially with something like thyroid, they come in, you have high TSH, like here's some Synthroid. Put you on some T4, mm-hmm. not even considering the other factors that could be interfering with that mm-hmm. or thyroid conversion that's not even taken into consideration. You come back, nothing's happening. All right, mm-hmm. let me give you more. Let me give you more. Nothing's happening, right? And they're not, why is this <laughs> hormone not working right? right there's no question of that it's a, it's just mind-boggling to me where yeah. i get to see people and they're like i'm on this much thyroid and i'm like what does it feel any different nope he's raised it like five times no different <laughs> so why don't we like look at some other things that maybe could be happening right now that's allowing you know it's not allowing you to convert it no, or that's in your head kate what are you talking about <laughs> right yeah so I think they're just, they're, they're just, there's missing a part of this conversation. And I think, you know, and a lot of it, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, I think they're overloaded with so much information about these little intrinsic things that go into the human body and the, all the drugs that have to correlate with all that. And there's so many in today's world 
that it doesn't give them time to sit there and literally critically think with each patient about everything that could possibly going on to be making a difference for them. And, no. you know, it's unfortunate. You can't blame them, but it is what it is. But that's the system we've created. And yeah, it's, I don't know if it'll ever, <laughs> if it'll ever change. I mean, do you recommend any of your clients go see like, uh, you know, alternative health kind of doctors or whatever, naturopaths or anything like that? Mm, yeah, they, they seem to be about the same way, right? They kind of have their yeah, own issues. I think I think they that was a good idea in the beginning. I think at least they are a little bit more alternative, and they'll look at some different labs. They'll they'll do more labs. I mean, or maybe they'll labs, get right. Yeah, they get more labs. But I feel <laughs> like you know they do even more extensive labs that cost more money. Oh yeah. They don't some talk about your diet, but I mean, I have so many people I talk to that go to functional medicine doctors are told to go on a low carb diet. Yeah. And so, and then they come out with $300 with supplements. Oh, yeah. So they're not getting a drug, but then they're getting all these supplements. And I'm like, you're deficient. Your body is so broken down right now that do you really think that your body can handle these 10 supplements that you're taking it? I yeah, mean, those lab, not, labs are $500 a lab. Yeah. I, I've done some of them, sadly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like to see myself. I, get labs on myself about yeah. every three or four months. I'd like to, cause for me, I just like to see shifts. I like to pay attention to things and so forth. So I like to experiment a lot. So yeah. I, I like to test things, but do I think they're necessary to find out if something's going on with somebody? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think that you can get all, I think get really far without a lot of labs. I think some people do need them if you're, if they're doing a lot of things right mm -hmm. and nothing's shifting then it might be, okay, let's get a little bit more information and see if we can find something else out. Right. But for the average person, you know, so what are the things that you would recommend, of course, keeping track of your temperature um, and what should that be and how about your pulse, right? Just what, you know, the things that an average person can keep track of to help themselves. So if you're going to start monitoring your own health, first I would say food log, mm -hmm. like start logging to see what you're eating, how much you're eating. You know, you should be minimum like 80 to 100 grams of protein, minimum 200 grams of carbohydrates, fat. There's, I mean, to me, there's no real prescribed amount unless you're trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are barely minimums, and that's very if you have very little activity. And so, yeah, I think that's a good guideline. Um, I, you know, your 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 temperature should be around 97.8 when you wake up, and should go up to 98.6 midday. It sometimes can go a little bit hotter, uh, depending on you know. Those are just general guidelines. Mm -hmm. But pulse should be around 70, 90 to 80, 70, 75 to 90 beats per minute. Okay. Um, it shouldn't be 40, um, mm -hmm. which if you are an endurance athlete, that's probably what it's going to be. It's going to be quite low. Yep. Um, you know, so y you want metabolically speaking things to be hotter and a little bit higher um, to, mm -hmm. to be at your place. And that means your metabolism is moving, things are going. So, and if you're having any, you know, because the word metabolism can be com confusing for some people. I mean, how would you define that? I would describe I describe it as the sum of every metabolic process that's going on in your body. So okay. everything that's happening in your system, mm -hmm. it's the sum of all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you when your body is running optimally and everything's getting enough fuel, mm -hmm. you know you're going to sleep well, you're going to you know have good digestion, you're going to have a bowel movement at least once a day, you're going to urinate four or five times a day, not twenty five times. You're going to have restful, good deep sleep. Um, you're going to be in a good mood. You should be able to maintain your weight without excessive exercise and dieting. It shouldn't be like this constant struggle. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't have binging or that desire. I mean, food, it should be secondary. I mean, you should like food. 
but it shouldn't be that constant thing on your mind all the time. You should be able to think clearly. Um, you shouldn't be that brain foggy, you know, and so you should feel well, you should have decent energy all day long, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if something is compromised or, and you should be able to be fertile, you should have a a pain-free period. Um, Mm -hmm. you should want to have sex, you know, and (laughs) people comment like, I could care less about sex. I have a horrible period. My digestion sucks. You know, I have to work really hard to keep, maintain my weight. Then something isn't working optimally. And so it's kind of, intuitive for them to think you have to actually eat more to have your weight to be more stable. Um, But, you know, systems in your body, because it's the sum of everything, are Mm -hmm. being depleted. And so we have to get those things more fueled. And sometimes you have to go into a more resting state because if, again, if you're constantly having deposits taken from you, meaning exercise or stress, that's all going to take energy. And if you don't have enough coming in, then your body's going to basically take it from other areas of your body that might need it. And so until we can provide those areas with enough fuel, you're going to continue to have issues. That's perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's perfect. <laughs> if there's uh, is there anything else you you could recommend to one, you know, if one person just a person wants to do something today, you know, would it be cooking at home by themselves more often or I mean, what can they do just to start somewhere because so like you said, people are so confused with all the voices that are happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I tell them to read my book that I think is the easiest and best place to start. Um, you know, and the name because of it is, Oh, what I don't even have a copy. Uh, it's called how to heal your metabolism. (laughs) Beautiful. It's available on Amazon on Kindle. I have it on Kindle, for example. Oh, you got it. Oh no, here it is. I have one copy with all my notes in it. There you go. Um, that would honestly be, one of the, or, you know, follow me on Instagram at Kate Darren Fitness. Um, I think one of the quickest things that people can do to shift is change out their fats. I mean, if you're using liquid fats, I think we don't really talk about polyunsaturated fats that much, but mm-hmm. a lot of your liquid fats can be completely anti metabolic. So using things like coconut oil or butter to cook with. versus any of the liquid oils, even olive oil is going to be a lot healthier for you. Mm -hmm. So I think that one shift can really change Mm -hmm. someone's health. Maybe we can touch up on them really quick. I mean, yeah, you know, the way that I go about it is like, do you think, you know, we should be gathering all these seeds and all these crazy weird plants and squeezing them down into a little liquidy oily bottle? You know, I don't think that sounds quite, uh, you know, the term natural is very abused these days and I get it because the other people will say, well, this computer is not natural, you know, or whatever. So, um, but it's just something, seems like something shouldn't be in our bodies. <laughs> I think they were manufactured oils that were cheap to make. Um, you know, we started using vegetable oils and corn oils because they were very cheap to produce and mm-hmm. we thought they were vegetarian, mm-hmm. so they got to be healthier. Um, and then we found out that using these oils can actually lower cholesterol. Right. So of course they have to be healthier if they have that effect. Yes. Um, again, without understanding contextually how these were working. I mean, a lot of these oils work uh, one way in suppressing your immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have an effect on your liver. Mm-hmm. So those things can lower your cholesterol levels, but is it a good thing? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that should optimally help lower cholesterol levels is having optimal thyroid function because that's what's needed to convert the cholesterol into your steroidal hormones. Yeah. Um, but and, and pretty much if you go into any restaurant or anywhere you know, out, it, they're usually using those oils. Not a lot of restaurants are cooking in uh, straight yeah. butter or coconut oil. No, because again, they're promoted as the heart-healthy fats. 
yep. right? Again, yep. n- uh, misunderstood, used as a marketing ploy to sell a lot of them, and they're cheap. Yeah. And so, and because they're cheap, restaurants buy them. Like, yeah, soy oil, corn oil, all of that, canola, that's what your food is being cooked at, at all these, unless you're going to a French cuisine, which they might be using butter. Nobody yeah. really uses coconut oil um, no. because it's saturated and they just, for some reason, but, you know, for the most part, you're going to get, if you're going out to eat, your food is being cooked in some sort of vegetable oil. And so it's not mm-hmm. ideal. You, you know, if you, that's why I always say, if you want to get healthy, um, minimize your out to eat eating. Because yeah. it's just not going to be ideal for you. And your book has lots of cool recipes, which I which I really like. So people can yeah. use those. Definitely. There's food options, food ideas, recipes, a complete explanation, how to get all your nutrients with the foods that you're eating. Um, you know, it, it does give you a full understanding of what and how you can nourish yourself to get better without the use of drugs or supplements or anything like that. Because, you know... You shouldn't need them. I think sometimes that you can use supplements mm-hmm. to help support you, sure. but I mean that's one percent of the 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 answer. It's yeah. you know food first, lifestyle shifts, maybe a supplement. Love it, beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, <laughs> my pleasure, Leo. No problem. It's been awesome. Maybe we can thanks do it again for, uh, sometime. Yeah, let me know. I'm, I'm. Thanks for waiting for me today. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So just again, uh, Instagram, Kate Deering, I think, right. Kate Deering Fitness. Kate Deering Fitness, book, How to Heal Your Metabolism. Get it on Amazon, folks. Uh, I'll chat with you later. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Leo. Bye.